Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we look at the this new king that's coming in over Israel and that, that he's a good king. And we ask you to show us what you'd want us to see from this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Second Chronicles chapter 29. In chapter 28, Ahaz died. He was a bad king. Before that, we had Joham Horam, who was a good king. And now we're going to have Hezekiah. Uh, Hezekiah was nine years old when his dad, the good king, uh, grandfather, the good king, died. And then his father was a bad king. So now we're going to look at Hezekiah in chapter 29, starting at verse 1. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priest and the Levites and gathered them together into the, into the east street and said to them, Hear me, you Levites, sanctify now yourself and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and have turned away from their, their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. And they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Wherefore the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem and he has delivered them to trouble, to astonishment and to hissing as you see with your eyes. For lo, your fathers have fallen by the sword, and your, and your sons and your daughters and your wives are, are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath be tur- may turn away from us. My sons, do not, ne- be, do not now negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that you should minister unto him and burn incense." So we're going to look at this because this is all Hezekiah's statements. So it says, Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old, and he's going to reign for 29 years. And it says his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. We don't know which Zechariah that that is because Zechariah was a popular name. And then it says in verse 2, And he did that which is right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. So David was a righteous king wasn't a perfect king, but he was a righteous king. And Hezekiah is going to come and he's going to do things the way God wants them done. And he's a righteous man after the, after the way of David. And it says right in verse 3, and this is very interesting. In the first year of his reign, in the first month. So you got to get understood here. What does he do? The very first thing he does within the first 28 days of taking reign he starts getting the temple fixed up. All right. He doesn't wait. He doesn't get anything else established. He says, we are getting the temple fixed back up. And that's his very first thing he does in the first year of the first month. And it says he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. If you remember back in the previous chapter in, in verse 24, Ahaz had shut the doors. He had nailed them shut so that people could not go into the temple to worship. Uh, that was his 
how much he despised the worship of God. So he literally shut the doors of the house and and made the altars in every corner of Jerusalem. So the first thing Hezekiah does is he opens up the doors so that they can be able to worship God. And he repairs the doors. He gets them ready for the use of the service. And says he brought the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street or the east side of the of the te- uh, temple. And he starts talking to him. He says, "Hear me, you Levites." And remember, all the all the priests are Levites as well, but not all Levites are priests. And he says, "Sanctify yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God." of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. So he gives them a job. He says, sanctify yourself. Make the offerings that are needed. Shed the blood. Get ready. Get the sacrifices. Follow the the sacrifices given in Leviticus and prepare to serve God. And for the years that his father was in, in charge of the nation, nobody had done this. They had not worshiped God in the temple and he tells the priest get ready do your job sanctify yourself and by the way sanctify the tabernacle get rid of the filthiness and literally in the Hebrew this means the idols that were in there and remember we talked about idols having been put right in the temple of God and not for the first time but Ahaz put temple uh, idols right in God's temple. Now this is pretty sad when you're going to bring that much desecration to God's temple. Uh, this is this is God's temple, and He is bringing other idols into it. And you know God could have easily judged them and said, "That's it, you're done, goodbye," <laughs> but He still was patient with them knowing that Hezekiah was coming. And it says, For your fathers have tra- trespassed and done that which was evil in the sight of the, in the eyes of the Lord and have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the inhabitation of the Lord and turned their backs. Now this is quite an indictment. This is a multi-part indictment that he says. They have forsaken God. Now, pretty, pretty good. The king had locked the doors to the temple. Uh, they have turned away their faces. They no longer gazed upon God and his word. And this is the thing that happens even in our day and age when people reject God. It starts many times from turning away from gazing at God's image in the word and not looking at the word and saying, what do we see about God? And this is the beautiful thing about this. Do we really seek God? Do we go into his word looking for God? The Jewish people were turning away from him. They did not want to see it. And they turned away their faces from the inhabitation of the Lord. So they literally turned their back even to the temple. Because that's what the habitation of the Lord means, the temple. They, they believed, the Jewish people believed that God lived in that temple and that was the only place they could really meet with him. Now, not all of them did. The prophets over and over talked about God being everywhere. Huh? Yeah, it's not necessarily true. 
Now, God said, I would meet you there in that, but it's not the only place that he could be met. Uh, and the problem is they were taking their idols to meet God, and it wasn't the God that they were supposed to meet. And, but the Jewish people, and this is why they felt Jerusalem would never fall. They looked up there and go, that's where God lives. This city will never fall because God lives in that temple right there on the hill. And that was a not a true because even when God, God spoke to David and Solomon, he goes, the whole earth is my footstool. You can't build me a place to live in. But then he said he would meet them in the temple, even though he would not dwell in the temple because he's omnipresent. He can't dwell just in that temple. And so, but they believed that God dwelt in that temple like other, other idols did. They dwelt in their temples. And so this was a problem that he was going, that they were facing. And it says, verse 7, Also if you shut up the doors of the porch, and, and you have put out the lamps, and have not burnt incense, nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. So here he's saying, you have shut the doors, which we already know about. What else did they do? They put out the lamps. What are they talking about here? The menorah on the, in the holy place. So they, they did not burn uh, the oils for the menorah. They did not go in and offer, the, they did not burn the incense on the altar of incense in the holy place. And he goes, and you have not burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. So nothing has been going on. They have not been meeting the three times a year like they're supposed to for every male. And they have not been daily keeping the, the altar of incense going. They have not daily kept them oil in the menorah, which he doesn't mention it. But obviously, they're also not doing the showbread uh, on the on the weekly weekly offerings. Well, they totally rejected God. He said, "You turned your back on him," and Ahaz locked the door. He locked the temple shut so nobody could get in. But the Levites still. Because we've seen the Levites stand strong against kings in the past, but in this case with Ahaz, they did not say, we're going to continue to serve God in spite of what the king is saying. So this is the problem that we're, that we're looking at, is they are not following after God at all. Not seeking him, not going into the temple, not burning the altar of incense, not burning the menorah. And remember, if you remember back from the Levit Leviticus, the menorah is supposed to be lit 24-7. The, the incense are running 24-7. The showbread is replaced every week. Showbread is in, the, and those are the things that are in the holy place. And those are supposed to be dealt with morning and evening of every day. In this case, this was more that they were, being form, they were following formalism, just tradition. Uh, but we did talk about how Incense or prayers, the, the, the menorah represents the light of the light of God, and the showbread is God God's feeding of his people, the word. So I mean each one of those match to what we're doing, but it's supposed to be more than just tradition. Uh, and we should be doing the same thing. We should be reading the word, we should be we fall under the symbols. Everything about the temple and the worship was sim symbolic. God is not saying we're to do all of those things. They were all symbols of what Jesus would be the final part of. And when we talked about Leviticus and, and Exodus, the building of all this, we talked about all the symbology of all of these activities. And the offerings haven't been made. In verse 80 says, 
Wherefore the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem, says God is angry at us and judging us because we have not been obedient. Somewhere along the line, he has learned that there's a curse on not obeying God. Now, I don't know if he's listened to a prophet, his dad somehow, his grandpa somehow communicated this. Maybe his mother was, was a godly woman that was teaching him. We don't know where he got his education, but his education for God started verse thing. That's the first thing he's doing. He's getting that corrected. And it says, the wrath of God is upon Judah. He has delivered them to, first off, trouble. And it says they are the object of trouble, a terror. So they're, they're under terror all the time. Astonishment, which is uh, appallment or wasting. And then to a hissing, and that's the sound that people, when, they're, when trials go in, and it's a sign of shock. And he says, as you see with your own eyes. So he's picturing things have not been good for Israel. They are in terror all the time. And I'm thinking in our day and age, how much is the media and the government trying to create terror in, in the people to freeze us, to, to, make us, to make us afraid? And especially with COVID, but the next thing that's coming up, who knows what it's going to be. There's going to be another thing that comes along. And then another thing that comes along, they want us to live in fear. Because if we live in enough fear, then we let government rule us. And this is what was going on in their day. They weren't trusting God. They were living in fear. And he says, and you are wasting away and you're in shock. So lots of things going on. And it says, for lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword. They've gone, they've died in battles and they has had all, remember we talked about him having enemies on all sides of him. And so he's lost lots of them to the to battles. And our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. So the younger the younger people are all going into captivity and, and everything. And then he comes to his final thing in verse 10. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the God, the Lord God of Israel, that is fierce wrath may turn away from us. He's going, I want to make an agreement with God. In other words, I want to repent. I want to start doing things God's way. The first thing he did was get the, the temple sanctified, get the Levites sanctified. And he says, my sons, talking about the Levites, which aren't technically his sons, be not negligent for the Lord had chosen you to stand before him, to serve him that you should minister to him and burn incense. So he says, stand. This is important because... God asks his children to stand and be ready to fight a good fight and be able to make a stand for him. And this is important. It was important in his day when they'd already been totally dis disruptive. But even in our day, there needs to be Christians willing to stand against sin and say, no, it is wrong. The church needs to stand. The people need to stand and say, no, these things are wrong. And it's very interesting that the church is losing its effect, but it is also holding in. Can we imagine how bad things would be if the church of God was not saying no to so many of the sins? No to homosexuality. No to 
fornication, no to adultery, no to euthanasia, no, no to abortion. Now, we're not doing a good, good enough job. We're not praying enough, but we are standing up some degree, which means we are putting a wall. Now, that wall isn't holding very strong, mostly. Now, the good news for us is abortion has now been pushed back, but we'll, we're seeing a huge attack and counterattack back on that. Well, because it means everything to them. They know if they lose that fight, they've lost a big, a big issue. And, but God says that life begins at conception, that he forms us in, in the mother's womb, that he forms us. He created life. He, we're created in the image of God. And to murder those babies is a horrendous sin. But the flip side of it is when we've allowed that, the, la the latter side is euthanasia is now becoming big. Grandma, great-grandma and great-grandpa are so sickly, we need to get rid of them because they're eating, into, they're eating into our inheritance. And if we let them not have quality of life is what they like to say. And we as church has to stand up. And the problem is there's a lot of churches that aren't standing up. And we need to hold the uh, standard. We're going to lose. I mean, it's obvious we're going to lose because the people have got to get to the days of Noah where everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. But we need to stand as best we can and take a stand. Most of them actually believe what, they've been, what they're believing. Uh, for most of them, they have been in, infected by the schools and the education that they've had. They were not trained up well by their parents. They did not believe what their parents taught them in many cases. Uh, many times the parents didn't live out the same thing, so they throw out the, throw out everything the parents believe. In churches, many people are just Christian on Sunday morning. They don't read their Bibles all week long. The kids never see them read their Bibles. They never see them living for God. And when the kid gets to a certain age, he goes, Mom and Dad don't believe anything that they've been telling me for all these years, and they throw everything out the window. So that is the problem, and this is why it's so important that when we train up our children from the very beginning that we do a good job training them and we live what we're teaching them. Because nobody wants to see phonies and hypocrites and when you do, you just throw out everything they say. And this is what happens in our government. Most of these families have grown up in, many of them have grown up in churches where, they're, where they were sent to church or their parents were not true Christians the rest of the week and said, well, it's not real, I don't care for it. And then they had professors and teachers telling them how everything was wrong, that their parents were teaching them, that they believed in fairy tales, and there was no strength to be able to defend it. And so they throw it away. And then what do they fall back to? What the world teaches. And this is, this is the sad thing about all of that process. Satan is very smart because he says he'll point out every hypocrisy of the Christians and their families and then he gives this whole slew of lies put out by smart people that have degrees and titles attached to their names and they're going well these guys are obviously smarter than my parents look at all their titles and my parents didn't live what they told what they were telling me when we're being tempted to sin we're going to be thinking all about how I can sin and I'll be forgiven and and he'll tell us, well, you just sin and, and, and repent and God will give you grace. And then as soon as we sin, he attacks us. What a lousy hypocrite you are for, for sinning. And so he, he plays both directions on us. And people fall hook, line, and sinker, sinker for most of it. And that's the problem here. And he says, you are to stand 
You are to serve God. Their job was always to serve. The Levites and the priests were to serve God. And you should minister to him and burn incense. So he said, you're going to get back in there and do the job in the holy place. You're going to burn the incense. You're going to, he didn't mention the lamps, but he could have said, you're going to light the lamp. You're going to burn the incense. You're going to put the showbread in there. And you're going to be ready to make all of these sacrifices and stuff again. And this was a big deal. We don't know how long. It doesn't tell us when Ahaz locked the doors. But even before he locked the doors, there wasn't a lot of worship going on. So many of these Levites and priests have not done their service for probably years, if not decades, of time of serving God. They've got a king that wasn't allowing them to do it, so they, they should have gone ahead and done it when king uh, went in to offer the sacrifices and they said they offer the burn the incense they said no this isn't your job and 70 of the levites stood against him now none of these levites seem to have stood against ahaz locking the doors and putting idols in there so they have fallen a long ways as well now we've got hezekiah calling them and saying get over here and do your job be men basically is what he's saying quit being wimps and this is, this is really the, the gist of what he's saying. Get over here and do your job that you are anointed to do. All right, verse 12. Then the Levites arose, Mahath, the son of Am- Amasiah, and Joel, the son of Azariah, the son of, of the Kohathites, and the son of Merari, Kish, the son of Abdi, and Azariah, the son of Jehaelei, and the, of the Gershomites, and Joah, the son of Jimma, and Eden, the son of Johah, and the sons of Eli, Eliezephan, and Shimri, and Jeel, and of the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Mataniah, and the sons of Heman, Jehiel, and Shimiel, and of the sons of Jeduthun, Shemaliah and Uziel, and they gathered their brethren and sanctified them and came together, came according to the commandments of the king by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. And the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it and carried it abroad into the brook Kidron. Now they began in the first day of the first month and sanctified it on the eighth day of the eighth of the month. Came they into the porch of the Lord so so that they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And in the sixteenth day of the first month they made an end. And they sent to Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord and the altar of burnt offering and all the vessels therein and the showbread table and the vessels therein. Moreover, all the vessels of which King Ahaz in his reign did cast away in his transgression, have we prepared and sanctified? And behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. So here we have, I'm not reading the names of everybody again, but we have several of the Levites coming together. And they called everybody else and they sanctified themselves. What did it mean to sanctify themselves? They made the sacrifices needed for cleansing. They would have, the high priest would have made a sacrifice for himself. He would have made a sacrifice for the priest 
and the Levites, and they would, each one of them would have made their sacrifice. They would have been sprinkled with blood, cleaned up. And it says they sanctified themselves as the king commanded, and they began to clean the house of the Lord. The priest went into the inner part of the house. Literally, the Holy of Holies had been defiled. They went all the way to the Holy of Holies and cleansed it and brought out the uncleanness, all the idols that were placed in the Holy of Holies. Now, I really don't know how this happened because only the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies and anybody else going in it would be struck dead. So God, during this period of their great sin, said, I'm not caring about the Holy of Holies. And these men went in, they cleaned out the Holy of Holies, they brought all that stuff out to the, to the temple square so uh, the, the square so that the Levites could then carry it out. The men that cleaned them out were not priests? Well, the men who went into the Holy of Holies were priests. They had to go into the Holy of Holies to clean, and they brought it out to the main square where the Levites could put, take, take and cart it away. And so they're bringing all of this out, and it says that the Levites then took it into the brook of Kidron, down into the valley, where they were able to get rid of it and uh, destroy it. They began on the first day of the first month and to sanctify, and on the eighth day of the month came they to the porch of the Lord, so they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. So I think this is pretty interesting. It took them eight days to clean out all the garbage that had been put into the temple. Now, I don't know how much it was in there. Lots of idols. I'm sure their idols were not that easy to move in some of the cases. How much junk was there? All the defilement. They also had to sprinkle the blood on everything and get it cleaned up. And remember, this was made out of gold, so it should be fairly easy to clean for much of it. But removing the idols and, and the altars to the idols, cleansing the altars with blood, cleansing the showbread altar, the altar of incense, cleaning all these things and sanctifying them with the blood of the sacrifices. And it took them eight days. And in the 16th day of the first month, they made an end. Now, I'm kind of curious about this statement. What, what was the extra eight days used for? I don't know. doesn't really tell us. Was, was it more of the sacrifices, more of the sanctifying, maybe more of the Levites had come in and needed to be sanctified? We don't know exactly what's going on. I'm going to say they probably were doing sanctification of the of it. The first the first part was to clean, and then they had to make the sacrifices to sprinkle with blood everything. Because remember in Leviticus and and Exodus when they created the tabernacle, everything was sprinkled with blood for the for the cleansing of it and the sanctification. So I think that's what they were doing during that eight days sanctifying everything and apparent and I would say they were also making the the tools that they needed the instruments they needed to do worship because that's what they're going to say here and then they sent to Hezekiah and said we have cleansed all the house of the Lord and the altar of the burnt offering so they've cleansed the house the altar and all with all the vessels thereof and the showbread with all the vessels thereof so all the the forks and the hooks and all these things they said we have cleansed all of these things. Verse 19 says, Moreover, all the vessels which King Ahaz in his reign did cast away in his transgression, we have prepared and sanctified, and behold, they are before the altar. So I think this eight days was them sanctifying everything, 
making hooks, making forks, making all these things that it took to be able to take and do the offerings and all of these things that they needed to do it. So 16 days it took to get the temple ready for worship. And basically, if you want to simplify it down there, they told, they called to Hezekiah and said, everything's all ready. We are ready to worship God again. And I think it's pretty amazing that it only took them 16 days to get this whole thing done. To totally clean it up, sanctify, make, make things that had been destroyed and, and gotten rid of. And here they are saying, Hezekiah, we are ready. You commanded, we are ready. We are ready. We've gotten all the Levites together to be able to sacrifice and worship God. And this is an amazing thing that how fast they got this done at this time. All right, verse 20. And then Hezekiah the king rose early and gathered the rulers of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bullocks and seven rams and seven lambs and seven goats for the sin offering of the for the kingdom and for the sanctuary and for Judah. And he commanded the priest to cut of the, the sons of Aaron to offer them on, on the altar of the Lord. So they killed the bullocks and the, and the priest received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, they had killed the ram and they sprinkled the blood on the altar and they killed the lambs and they sprinkled the blood on the altar and they brought forth the goats for the sin offering before the king and the congregation and they laid their hands upon them. And the priests killed them, and, and they made reconciliation with their, with their blood upon the altar to make atonement for all of Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offerings and the sin offerings should be made for all Israel. And he set the Levites. Let's, start, let's stop with 24 for just a moment. So Hezekiah, he's been waiting for this. You know, I love this. He rose early the next day. And I have a feeling early meant early. I think he got up before the sun ray was up. I think he was saying, I've been waiting for this, and it took them 16 days to get this cleaned. I am ready to go worship God. Because God had not been worshipped during the reign of his, of his father. I think he remembered back to when his grandfather was alive and saying worship happened back then. And he remembered it from a, from a child. And he says, he rose up early and he gathered the rulers of the city and went to the house of the Lord. He says, I am ready to worship. Oh, don't I wish that more people had this attitude in Christianity that they can't wait to get to the house of the Lord to worship with other people. Yes, I understand we can worship anywhere. And I understand that. But there is something very valuable about corporate worship with other Christians to be together, to sing songs, to pray together, to, to hear and minister to one another. is a very valuable thing. And then it says, they brought seven bullocks, seven rams, lambs, goats, for the sin offering and for the, for the kingdom and for the sanctuary. It's very interesting, they brought seven. Seven is the number of completion. So they were bringing a complete offering in, in this, this picture. And they're bringing bullocks, rams, lambs and goats and these are for the sin offering and it's and it says for the kingdom and for the sanctuary this is hezekiah saying the whole nation has been disobedient we're going to break 
ate this sin offering for the people. This is basically he's practicing Rosh Hashanah, even though that's not the day, uh, excuse me, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, without that particular day being, being involved. He says, we are going to offer the sacrifice for sin for the whole nation. And this brings us in remembrance to what Job did. If you remember what Job did, every week his children would have a party and that when he would do the next days, he'd offer a sacrifice for his kids. And he said, perchance they had cursed God in their reverie. Mm -hmm. This is what Hezekiah is doing, saying, I know my people have cursed God. I know my people have sinned. I am going to come and we're going to offer the sacrifice for the nation. We're going to bring the sanctification to them. And he's brought it, brought all of that to the priest and said, offer these sacrifices. Offer the sacrifices. And it says, so they killed the bullocks and sprinkled the blood and the, and the rams and the lambs. And then they got to the goats and the goats they did something different with. Verse 23. And they brought forth the he goats for the sin offering before the king and the congregation and they laid their hands on them. On the day of atonement, the, they would bring two goats into the sacrifice. The people would lay their hands upon the goats. They would confess their sins over the goats. And they would kill one. And they would lead one off into the wilderness and release it. It was called the scapegoat. And it carried the sins away from the people. And the other one died for the sins of the people. And so here they're doing this. And we don't see the idea that this is Yom Kippur that they're worshiping on because they're closer to the Passover on the first day of the month. But they're doing all of this and saying, this is what it takes for sin to be removed. I, we're going to follow the Day of Atonement sacrifices and follow through with this. And the priest killed them and made reconciliation with their blood upon the altar to make atonement for all Israel for the king had commanded them to do the burnt offering and the sin offering. So here are some key words. Reconciliation. To bring God and man together. To reconcile. This is what happens to us when Jesus died on the cross. He covered our sins so that God could be reconciled with us if we accepted his mercy. And then he says to make atonement. And atonement is to make it as if it had never happened. All right, at one, you know, at one minute to make things joined with God and say, you, your sin is gone. It has been, you are reconciled with God. It is as if nothing happened. This is what happens to us when we get saved. When we get saved, we are covered with the blood of Christ. And God says, you are perfect. You have accepted my, sac my son's sacrifice. You and I are one. You are reconciled because your sins are covered and there is nothing that can separate us. This is the beauty of the atonement. When God says, you are made one with me again because you have accepted the sacrifice that has been made and this is what they're doing on this sacrifice. They're saying, God, we are coming back to you. This is the, the leadership of Hezekiah saying, we are going to worship God and not, not these idols. And he said in verse 25, and he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with symbols and sultries and harps, according to the commandment of David and, and of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan, the prophet, 
For so was the commandment of the Lord by these prophets. And the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priest with the trumpets. And Hezekiah commanded to offer burnt offerings on the altar. And when the burnt offerings began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets and with the instruments ordained by David, king of Israel. And all the congregation worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded, and all of this continued until the burnt offerings were finished. And when they had made an end to the offering, the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. So here is the worship that happened. As soon as they started making these sacrifices for sin, he said, play the music that has been commanded. And this is what David directed Solomon doing. From Solomon on, every day, 24 hours a day, music was played in the temple. They played the Psalms and they played them with all kinds of instruments. They had an entire band going on all the time. And I'm sure they rotated these guys out every every eight to you know eight hours or so and put new people in to sing and to play. But this was you almost can picture this, you know, every time you went into the temple, there was music worshiping God. The Psalms were being played and music was lifting up to God, just as David had said, and they were they were using cymbals, psalteries, harps, trumpets, all the music that some people you know, when, when contemporary music was starting to come back into churches, people were going, you can't have those kind of instruments in there. And it says, God said to use all those kind of instruments. So, you know, when people tell me, I'm going, well, you're against what God says. You know, I have no problem with that. I like instruments in the church. It's wonderful if you've got enough to, to do it. And Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offerings. And, and when the burnt offerings began, the song of the Lord began the song of the Lord began with the trumpets and with the instruments ordained by David. So they started singing. I can almost picture this. These priests singing the songs of worship to God. Lifting up God and saying, isn't it wonderful? God is being ministered again in this place where he's supposed to be ministered to. The people are hearing the songs of God. And verse 28 says, and the congregation worshiped and the singers sang, and the trumpets sounded, and this continued until all the burnt offerings were finished. The people worshipped. I bet they were singing the songs too, especially as they started to learn them. You know, and it's wonderful. I love being in a good worship service where everybody's joining in and singing, and God is being lifted up. And here we're seeing God being lifted up, and people are worshipping. And it says in verse 29, And the king and the people bowed themselves down and worshipped. They prostrated themselves literally and worshipped God. And this is so wonderful that God is being lifted up by Hezekiah and the, and, and the people are responding. Now, I don't know if their full heart was there or not at this point. Hezekiah's is. The priest and Levites seem to be. And the leaders seem to be worshipping God. Verse 30, Moreover, Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praises unto the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer, and they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads and worshipped. This is what does this mean? They sang the Psalms. David and Asaph wrote most of the Psalms, so they were singing the, the book of Psalms at that time. Then Hezekiah answered and said, 
Now you have consecrated yourself unto the Lord. Come near and bring sacrifices and thanks offerings into the house of the Lord that the congregation brought the and the congregation brought the sacrifices and the thanks offerings, as many as were of free heart burnt offerings. And the number of the burnt offerings which the congregation brought was three, was seventy bullocks, a hundred rams, two hundred lambs, and all all these were for the burnt offering to the Lord. And the consecrated things were six hundred oxen, three thousand sheep. But the priests were too few, so they could not flay all the burnt offerings. Therefore their brethren, the Levites, did help them till the work was ended and until the other priests had sanctified themselves, for the Levites were more upright in heart to sanctify themselves than the priests. And also the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat and the, of the peace offering and the drink offerings for every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order, and Hezekiah rejoiced in all the people and all the people that God had prepared the people for, this the thing was done suddenly. So here we have Hezekiah saying, okay, now we've done the sin offering. Let's go to the next step. He says, you've sanctified yourself. Get ready to give the sacrifices and the thanksgiving offerings of the house of the Lord. Now these are two different offerings that we've, that we've talked about in the past. The burnt offerings were the picture of dedication, dedicating yourself to God, and everything in the burnt offering was burnt up in a picture of your burning yourself up for sanct- for act- The thanksgiving offerings, basically with the animal was divided in half. The priest got a shoulder and took it to them, and God got all the inner parts of it and half of the, half of the animal, and half of the animal was given back to the person who was offering it, and they had 24 to 48 hours to eat all of that offering with their friends and have a party for the Thanksgiving. Huh? Picnic with the Lord, a party with God, you know, however you want to you know, say it. Uh, so these were offerings that they were told to do. And it says, as many as were free heart burnt offerings. So it wasn't commanded to the, by the king to come and give offerings, but he said, this is what we're going to do, come and give offerings. Now, I'm sure if the king says come and give offerings, some of the people came just because the king said so, but nobody was being compelled. He wasn't sending his soldiers out there and saying, okay, get to the temple and offer these things. They had the ability to say no. All right. And so the number of burnt offerings, these are the ones that are totally consumed. 70 bullocks, 100 rams, and 200 lambs were made as burnt offerings. Now in the burnt offerings, the priest would skin the animal, take the hide off of it. The, the priest and the Levites got to keep all of the hides that was part of their pay for, for the sacrifice and the rest of the animal would be burnt. All right. So they did all of this and then for the consecrated things, the, the Thanksgiving offerings were 600 oxen and 3,000 sheep. That's a lot of sheep that are having to be killed in the temple that day. And I love this. But the priests were too few, so they could not flay or, or skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore, the brethren, their brethren, the Levites, helped them till the work was ended. So here we have so much work that the priests could not keep up. And they're going, we have to have help. And they brought in the Levites. 
And then we have something very interesting here. Wherefore the brethren of the Levites did help them till the work was ended, and until other priests had sanctified themselves, for the Levites were more upright in heart to sanctify themselves than the priest. What does this mean? More Levites came to be sanctified than the priest. I don't know why this happened. The priest were being rebellious. Maybe they thought, we're not going to go through this all over again. Ahaz kicked us out of the temple, and we're not going to go back until we're, we're sure that this is going to happen. Uh, we don't know why, but they are being rebellious. The sons of Aaron were being more rebellious than the rest of the Levites were being. And it says there were lots of Levites and very few priests. Now, there are lots more Levites anyway. But the Levites had come, it says they were more upright. They sanctified themselves. They came at the call of the king and got ready for service. And the priest, they were slow to do so. And verse 35 says, And the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat of the peace offerings. And peace offerings were another, and drink offerings were more offerings that people brought. And the peace offerings, they would take the fat of the animal and burn it to God. And the drink offerings, they poured drinks out uh, out to God. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. This is a great day for Hezekiah. God is being worshipped again. Sixteen days after he became king, they're worshipping God and seeming to be very happy about it. And I love this. And Hezekiah rejoiced. I can picture this. Hezekiah has been wanting to do this. He wanted to make a covenant with God. He wanted to build the temple back up. He wanted the offerings to be made. And 16 days after becoming king, they're worshiping God in the temple where it belongs. And all the people that, that God had prepared, and all the people that God had prepared the people for the thing was done suddenly. Again, 16 days isn't a long time to get this ready to go. And it is suddenly, which might be why the priests weren't really ready to respond. They're going, okay, Ahaz kicked us out. You know, How long is this new king going to really get us worshiping? How long is this going to be, be valid? may have taken them longer than 16 days just to get there. You know, If they were scattered around the kingdom, it may have taken a little longer uh, to get there. Judah's not that big. They should have been able to get there in 16 days. Uh, because it would have taken 16 days of, up from Dan, which none of them lived in Dan at this point because that's the northern kingdom. But it took them a while to get there, and God brought people together, so many people that they offered 3,600 offerings just for Thanksgiving offerings. And they offered you know, the uh, 270 sin offerings. This is a big deal. This is a big day. These priests had to have been tired at the end of the day, and the Levites had to be tired at the end of the day after killing and skinning that many animals. I don't know how long it takes to t kill and skin those animals, but it sure, sure probably took at least uh, 30 minutes to an hour to get done. Maybe they had it down to 20 minutes, uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes if they got good at it. Uh, but it still took time to, to, to kill and skin that many animals. And Hezekiah rejoices. We have, we have started worshiping God as I wanted. It was sudden, and this many people showed up, and this many sacrifices showed up. And now from this point on, people were able to come and go to the temple and worship God. And Hezekiah is really excited about all this. And he did what was right, as King David did. I'm sure the next step is going to be that he's going to destroy all the idols and get rid of the idols.
because he wants worship of God. That's where we're at today. Lord, we ask you to help us learn to seek after you. Help us to always want to want to be within your presence, to, to be with your people, to follow you in all that you do. And we thank you for your love and your care for us and all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.